I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast from two brothers who watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. And on today's episode, it's Barbenheimer Part 2. I am become death. Watch me roar. <laughs> We're... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that's quite how it goes. We're here to talk about Opp- Oppenheimer, the most explosive movie of the year. Can you say that? Um, <laughs> hey that's gotta hurt. <laughs> we get into talk all things Christopher Nolan, the experience of seeing Oppenheimer, and uh, how similar this movie is to Barbie. Ironically. I know, but it's... Maybe po- post-ironic. Yes, yeah, sure. Who's to say? Either way, let's just go ahead and jump in, sleepyheads. Does it feel like we've passed through the moment of Barbenheimer? Don't you think the first AI creators are having that water droplets in the pond moment right now? Mm, Like the ripple effect of what they've wrought onto this planet? (laughs) They're like, it's over. This is what I have unleashed and and the never-ending effects of it, Mm. right? We get a little water drop effect. You know, when that first shot happened, I leaned over to my buddy in the theater. I was like, it's like bombs going. (laughs) 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 No, but the moment, Barbenheimer, uh, I think it's here to stay because everything else is moving until 2024. You know, yeah, it's, it's funny. We're recording this on the day that two big announcements were made, I think. One being that Dune 2 has been postponed six months to March. And people are not happy. Well, I, and I, I, I think I may know why, because uh, maybe this was four or five weeks ago when the strike was kind of, at least in the actors were first striking. Um, Warner Brothers had, they moved Dune a little bit and then said, no, this is definitely the date. And they actually moved it sooner, um, like mm. earlier in November or something. Right. They said, we're not moving. And it was like, we're not moving. Yeah. And um, now here we are a month later, and sure enough, it's been moved. My biggest problem with it is I'm in agreement with a tweet that I saw, in agreement with the tweet that I saw, which was, hey, Dune is orange. And mm, orange yeah. is a fall color. Yeah. <laughs> All right? It's it's weird to have Dune 2 in the spring. Yeah. I, can agree more. I know. And, and, and we're also recording this on, on Pumpkin Spice Latte Day. That's when they started. They, re- they rolled those out. It's all orange. It's it all just... of a piece. Yeah. And then the other um, announcement is that the is that Killers of the Flower Moon and this movie Foe, starring Saoirse Ronan and... Um, Paul Mescal. Paul Mescal are uh, opening on the same day, and there was a lot of I think deluded people on Twitter saying this is Barbenheimer too. It's Foe and Killers of the Flower Moon. It's not. It's not. It's not at all. It's just two people movies. Don't understand why why the yeah. Barbenheimer <clears throat> works? It is a juxtaposition of aesthetics and also an overlapping of interest. And I, I would also say a both of these films have a certain. Uh, magnitude to them. I mean, these are... They are both commercially viable and film Twitter is interested in these. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. These, yeah. these are these were always going to be like commercial blockbusters, but also... We talk about it on podcasts. You know, the, you know auteur-ish directors, right? Um, uh, yeah. I, I think Christopher Nolan especially... You know, but Greta is a, is a, become a brand unto herself, um, and so you know, and, and that's just not what's happening in any of these other scenarios. So no, that's it's not happening. But it, you know, I guess all we have to hold on to is Killers of the Flower Moon at this point. Killers of the 
Four moon. Yeah, there's no good portmanteau for this. Um, is this just going to leave us with like Margot Robbie having just a wide open field for best actress? <laughs> I mean, it, well, Sirsha. Yeah, it's her and Sirsha and Natalie Portman's got a movie coming out. We, we knew it was coming. The attempt to yeah. repeat this this energy, but you know, for now, it's still here. People are still seeing the movies. Barbie is now the biggest movie of all time. No, almost. well, yeah. uh, I was, I just had it pulled up. Um, Barbie is at one point two billion dollars worldwide. Um, <laughs> And that's just astounding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like um, George right now. Is there anything you can do to shut them up? Is that about the pigeons? <laughs> Jerry pours water on them and kills them. I'm like, I ain't, I'm tempted to go outside and just like <laughs> rattle the fence. Like, stop. Well, the, it's not even like, oh, it, it's going to be so hard to edit out. It is anytime I'm thinking right now. Yeah, that's hard. It's just. <laughs> Uh, or there's the episode where the dog is next to Elaine's apartment and won't stop barking. Shut <laughs> As far as at 1.2 billion, it's it's now worldwide the 20th highest grossing film of all time. 20th all time. 20th of all time. Um, and as I cross the whatever 1.2 billion dollar mark faster than Super Mario Brothers did this year, I, I mean it's just. I think people knew it was going to be big. It has exceeded those expectations. And Oppenheimer is also still continuing to do killer business, in part because of how coveted tickets were for the 70 millimeter IMAX screenings of this. Which Barbie is now hating IMAX, and, too. And Barbie, uh, now with Dune, maybe with Dune moving and, and some of this other stuff. Oh, the saddest <clears throat> news. Cap. Captain Marvel's. Oh gosh, the, yeah, the, 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 the Marvels scooping up those Dune spots. Oppenheimer's at now at seven hundred twenty-five thousand. Is, is it called the Marvels? It's called the Marvels. Yes, yeah. <laughs> because because there's three of them. There's three. Sure. Yeah, but just you letting me go and say Captain Marvels with, <laughs> with no correction. Oppenheimer's now at seven hundred twenty-five million dollars worldwide, which you know for an R-rated movie about mostly people in rooms talking. Pretty astounding, right? And, and and a lot of that's just being driven by how. I mean, I've seen anecdotes of people on in groups on Facebook and and Twitter that are driving three, four, five hours to the nearest wow. IMAX theater that is equipped with the seventy millimeter prints um, to see it in that format. Um, and I mean, just just uh, even Oppenheimer. I mean, it, it is just kind of a thing unto its own. If it had just been this movie. Yeah, I think it was still it would have been so you know surprising um, for people um, how well it's done. Yeah, Which are some of those drive homes being very frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> people talking for three hours. What are we doing? Well, okay, so so I've seen it twice. You've just seen it the the once, the once on the uh, basic of basic presentations. Which it sounds like from a lot of people that it kind of matters. Uh, you know what? I so yes. I saw Oppenheimer again just last week, and and I, so so I had seen it initially opening night in like a quote unquote IMAX screen. I I, I don't know if this is boring mm-hmm. to the listeners, but a lot of movie theaters are equipped with what is a branded and IMAX screen. Um, a lot of you know the Regals and the AMC's and that kind of thing. Right. And and it's a large format screen, but it is not the super large you know real true IMAX presentation. Um, Listen. 
It's a big ass screen, <laughs> but it ain't that big. Um, that should be their <clears throat> their commercials. <laughs> but then the other part of it is these these IMAX screens at at, at your local chains or whatever. These are um, for the most part uh, projecting on film. They're doing right. g- digital pro- projection. So there's something like 19 or 25. So, uh, I don't know. What I I don't know if it's. 25 worldwide and 19 across the country theaters just 19 theaters in this country that that can show it in this 70 millimeter on film IMAX format which to me is a like kind of a crazy thing of Christopher Nolan to say we're gonna shoot this with IMAX cameras and we're gonna shoot it and we're gonna you know gonna create it in this way such that uh, 19 movie theaters can rightfully show it. I mean, it, it just kind of... He's like, I, I, we're not going to release it to any streamers. It's going on Blu-ray, and that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's 30 worldwide, and then and then a few less um, in, in the country. Um, yeah, only 19. And, and so Sacramento happens to have one of those theaters. Um, you lucky duck. I, I know. Our IMAX uh, downtown stack that's been there for 25, 30 years. Um, it is a full presentation IMAX with the projector. So that's how, that was the format I saw it on last week. I didn't know I was going to be able to see it because basically, because I've been looking, every seat except for basically the front row had been booked for weeks. Yeah, which we've seen the videos of that on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and and then a friend texted me, and he I think it was one of the added shows they did once Gran Turismo was bumped a few weeks because they, they got a couple more weeks of Oppenheimer. And so I said, yes, no, I'm definitely, I'll see it again to see it in this format. Um, and let me tell you, I, I know I was bigger, I was higher on the movie than you were in the first place anyway, but right. look. Even higher. At, look, yes, even higher now, but look, at this point in my life, I think seeing anything projected on film is gonna bump it up a half a star or a full star. Right. The movie started, you know, we're sitting there. The movie started. No trailers. That was amazing. The movie started. And I'm telling you, in a, in the first 10 seconds, like maybe we had gotten past the Universal Studios logo. First 10 seconds, something like so deep in my mind and, and memory was like unlocked. You're like, now that's big. It, it was not about the size. I mean, part of it was the size, but... But it was so like to see something on film again. Um, it the what I the memory that was unlocked for me was oh this is what going to the movies all the time used to look like. One of the best parts of going to the <clears throat> movies as a kid was looking back into the room, uh huh, and seeing the like beams shooting out, and you're like, man, is there someone in there? Yeah, is there someone doing this? And what what is this magic? And the imperfections of the film right the scratches that were present even on this even in this large format and and it it was so obvious to me megan said to me before i went to the movie she's she's like yeah but can you really tell the difference between digital and um something projected on film and i said to her honestly i'm not really sure (laughs) because the last few movies that i've seen projected on film have been at tower i love that theater but it's not a big screen you know it just i don't know it's it's kind of harder to tell i think but but I said, I, I'm not really sure, so I, I will report back. And let me tell you, I, I immediately could tell a difference. I mean, there there actually is something different in the way your brain is perceiving the information, right? Yeah, it, it's pretty fascinating The because there is a maybe assumption that there's like a, 
a level of pretension with mm-hmm. I mean it's same with shooting film photography it's like okay dude do you really need to yeah but it's like you know we're constantly trying to get to that feeling there's something so human about it like even in design work it's like constantly throwing film quote-unquote textures yeah. onto things yes just a tiny bit to make it feel less sterile more human and it, it like it it does surprise me how much you notice it. I mean, that's why even like I mean, we've been watching a lot of old movies lately. But yeah. like we just watched Nine to Five, with Dolly Parton. <clears throat> yeah, and it was like this movie looks so good. And it's like it, I mean, you know, it's just this comedy. You know, yeah. Like I mean, not just a comedy to like belittle it or anything. No, 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 no. It, it, it is it, like these. It's not a high art movie. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm just like swimming. Yeah. And these ridiculous colors and textures. And it made me enjoy the film so much more. Yeah. I mean, the difference to me is, you know, as someone who, like, most of my day is just going on Unsplash, which is <laughs> yeah. open source photography, free to use, and looking for images for my clients. Unsplash is, like, the most pristine, mm-hmm. pixel-perfect yep. resource. And it's so soulless yeah. because of that. Yeah. And you're just looking for one one interesting image. And, like, you can search film photography on Unsplash and, and find... And, like, immediately you're like, all right, these are already feeling yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, I'm basically I'm surprised at the temptation is to call it pretentious or, like, you mm, know, people sure. don't actually notice. But I'm surprised how much you feel it viscerally. Yeah. Yes. That that was what really took me aback was... I mean, yeah. So I was saying there's literally a different way that your brain is perceiving this, right? Because when mm. it's... Projected on film, it is a series of still images being shown to you very rapidly, and your brain is perceiving that as movement. A digital projection is, yeah, a series of frames, but it is not. It is not the same thing. It is not ultimately a physical still image that you are that, that is being shown to you very rapidly, and you're, you know, there's a gloss. Yes, yes. There's an approximation of what's happening that's being done. And, 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 and the thing that really stood out to me, too, was the black and white sequences. The black and white looked so much richer in that mm-hmm. film. It just projected yeah. on film. Yeah. I, I wonder how much it would affect my viewing because I thought the black and white was just a little rough around the edges. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. Like something was taking me out of it. No. Like especially the scene where he's walking through the hallway with the photographers. Yeah. Like, this feels like a cologne commercial. Yeah, yeah. Like a little kind of, like, very modern, a little more gray, like those colors kind of bleed together, right? Like, I can almost see the the studio lot right off the edge of the frame. Yeah. You know? No, the the richness of the texture in, in both the physical texture of the film, but also the colors... And the shades was so it was a, such a huge difference um, to me. The other thing I was going to say, I've been listening to Roger Deakins' podcast. Roger Deakins, famed cinematographer, it's, it's him and his wife, and they're, they and she works with him on his on his projects, and so she is just as just as an expert and just as knowledgeable about um, about this. And I love the podcast because, to be honest, some of it, a lot of it's over my head um, because mm-hmm. they is just this guy who's like in his seventies and just loves his craft and just really wants to talk to filmmakers about the details of it. Um, it's why a lot of the episodes are not with people you would have ever heard of because they're not directors. They're the FX yeah. artists. And they, you know, anyways, this this week, um, they did a two-part episode with the cinematographer of The Batman, which Deakins had said last year at the end of the year was to him the best cinematography he saw in a film um, in 2022. And, and 
He ain't wrong. Yeah. Um, and so he had, the, he had the cinematographer who, the cinematographer also worked on season one of The Mandalorian. And so used the, um, and they ended up using this with Batman too, but what's called the volume. You know what this is, Mitchell? No. This is the, these kind of tall and kind of like panoramic, almost 360 degree oh, screens, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Sure. With this just sure. like just super high def background images. And so what you're seeing in the Mandalorian is not an actor in front of a green screen, but an actor in front of a, a, a this, this screen that's, that's creating the background. And that way the light yeah. is more naturally. The light's real. Yeah. The light is like real. They used it in Dune. Yes. And then what, but, but it also gives them the freedom that where the animators and the, the, the visual effects artists can change things or keep the lighting the way it is or whatever it is and and as the directors want and as the cinematographers want as it relates to things and and to be honest i think it's it's become it's becoming more and more used and and in some really cheap looking ways mm-hmm. uh, but i think like what the batman shows is it could be re- used really well spielberg used it in the fablemans and you would you'd like never know mm-hmm. um but anyways, Deacon's asked this guy, Greg, uh, Greg Frazier, I think is his name, you know, when do you think we peaked in terms of photography? And and without hesitation, he says, oh, mid-1970s, um, we, we peaked. And now we're t- chasing technology, basically, or letting technology lead the way in this stuff. And, and, and some of it is good. Like, if you look at films that were, or films that were set in, darkness or a nighttime right that's the you know i look at think about a movie like nope and what mm-hmm. jordan peele was able to do with his cinematographer and the evening scenes and the night scenes on the farm you couldn't have done that 50 years ago but also nine to five looks insane <laughs> uh, okay so uh, this is kind of a broad overview and some of the things that that seeing oppenheimer a second time did for me but oppenheimer i don't know where do you want to start with this what's your relationship to the atomic bomb or christopher nolan <laughs> I was like, this guy's a little freaky, isn't he? What, with his apples and his Ooh, communist yeah, sex? Starts, oh, it really goes there right away, huh? <laughs> no, it's great. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't have language for this as I was watching it, but I read a review of the movie afterwards, and I was like, that is so specifically, you know, how I felt the first even 10 minutes of the film was, I was like, whoa. Immediately, it felt like the movie was yelling at me. Where it was like you get the you get the shot of the uh, water droplets, mm-hmm. and there's so much of the first hour that the movie was shot like it was a trailer, like it was edited yeah. like it was a trailer. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like there's a movement. There's a movement. There's a relentless movement to it that never feels like okay. I'm settling into what he's trying to say or show me that I found like really distracting, and it like I felt that in the first minute like whoa yeah the, the way that this is progressing already feels like tiring you know and like yeah. and by movement it's just almost every scene there is a slow zoom going on or a like yeah. side a pan yeah like that, there is a panning of the yeah. of the camera there is some sort of i know it's just guys in rooms talking so we got to keep this interesting so there is a lot of movement but it was this uncanny this feels like a trailer and a trailer is boom. We got to show you big moments right away. And there's so a lot felt- of like big shots of the city in Germany and 
the university and yeah. New Mexico and Berkeley, right? Yeah. And even well, even when they're he's just doing the Apple, it's like it's zooming in on the Apple, yeah. it's zooming in on him, looking, yeah. you know. And I'm I just felt a uh, immediacy that like was jarring to have it right out the gate, and it does not stop for like no. two hours. Yeah, and and uh, almost every minute of this movie is scored yes. to music, and and I actually think the score is amazing. Yeah. Um, no, the score but is it really is good. it is relentless in that way. Yeah, and you know I get that there is there's an urgency to what they're doing. The story is literally the race to build the bomb and so always moving relentless energy makes sense to reflect yeah. that but um for some reason it, it just unsettled me and not just like settled like okay i am watching a movie there's the sequence early on the train where he meets the santa claus guy mm-hmm. i don't know what the scientist name is um and they share an orange together and that feels like almost the most the longest extended scene right. um of, of almost like it almost like where it's like okay i recognize this this feels like a movie yeah in like that whole first hour um yeah and i think just as a general impression i I like wanted more moments of letting killian cook yeah letting the drama and the characters breathe a little bit and i think that that movement and that um, urgency separates a lot of my ability to emotionally invest in what's going on. So it felt like a, uh, I don't know, we're a little, we're a little, we're weary of the intensity of the subject matter in mm. regards to emotion versus yeah. like, this is the historical, yeah. you know, accuracy and presentation of it. And I think for me, I was like, the topic is so heavy. Like even when we did our Godzilla episode about two years ago, yeah, which is, has a lot of like atomic bomb themes obviously like it's a metaphor for that like man it really threw me into a headspace and especially like obviously there is a war going on with nuclear superpowers and all this stuff it's really scary and so it's been on my mind for you know a couple years like what does it mean when this happens you know and i think the, the grappling constantly with the emotions and moral questions surrounding the atomic bomb like i felt like a lot more emotion outside of this movie that is telling the story of its creation you know yeah. And so it, it probably wasn't fair of me to have an expectation of like, I'm going to feel moral depths, what has been done here yeah. versus like a historical telling that also like the greatness of a mind, but also what it releases in the world. So I think I, I came in looking for something and the movie was doing something else. Yes. Yeah. Because I don't like, because what you observe is accurate and I... I feel, you said I feel emotional distance, so what we're watching, and you said something about the bomb, and I'm like, yeah, we're watching a Christopher Nolan movie. Um, <laughs> right. Like, uh, this is what he does. Um, right. And... Like, for good or bad. Yes. No, I don't want to say gimmicks, but, like, ways of storytelling that, you know, sidesteps really being in the thick of it's just, but But it's like, it's like a movie like Dunkirk, which, which I actually, actually love that movie. Yeah. I think it is extraordinary. It's not an emotional movie. No. And and it's very gimmicky. Like, yeah. like totally. <laughs> in structure. And actually, I find it to be extremely effective. Um, <laughs> and I love it, but it's a cold movie, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Nolan has a 
color palette. Yeah, um, I know. The guy <laughs> likes blue. Film. It's, it's cold and blue. Despite the Oppenheimer poster, <laughs> this movie's very blue. Uh, yes, and this movie is too, right? I mean, I think about even, I can think about that sequence where he's in, he's off in the wilderness outside of Los Alamos, and Emily Blunt finds him like by a boulder, and it's like, yeah. just blue. It's just blue, man. Blue man group over here. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, to me, in a lot of ways, it reminded me more of what he did in something like The Dark. Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is very trailery too. Mm-hmm. We oh, rewatched those movies a year ago and I was like, oh, there is like propulsiveness that is sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes distracting. You know, but it's sometimes distracting. Totally. I mean it's yeah. that it's that opening sequence with the, the bank robbery and the Joker. That mm-hmm. the camera is constantly, constantly moving. It's a great sequence. It's a great way to start the movie. And I I think that movie is also great. Like, these are probably yeah, the sure. two movies I've mentioned, probably two of my favorite Nolan movies. But, yeah, I mean, this is, this is kind of what he does. And all that to be said, I actually think what you've observed about the movie, this aspect, its propulsiveness, is probably part of the point. Right. Uh, that, at least what I observed, and seeing it a second time, I was prepared for the third hour. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, the third hour is really the movie is cleaved into two parts. And, and at the very at the middle of it um, is the Trinity test where they blow up the first bomb, which is a beautiful and, sequence. And it's it is amazing. And, and actually and then like the 10, 15 minutes after that Trinity test, I would kind of include in that first half mm-hmm. after the, you know, the first bombs and, and all of that. But then this this the next 50 minutes next hour of the movie is fallout for lack of a better word um uh, of this and the and years moving on and, and senate hearings and courtroom drama yeah except uh, yes because yes, they're yeah because they're it's his it's his security clearance hearing right but but it's it's stilting and it's a totally different pace and it's frustrating and 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 like boring at times and i mean that generously right i you know someone wasn't bored by it but 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 it's almost like it kind of part of me feels like it's so propulsive because nobody it's gosh it's like jurassic park they could do it but nobody nobody asked if they should right right. (laughs) Um, stopped asking they should yeah and that's what it feels like for the first two hours of this movie it's i mean you see him in los alamos um um, so confident in the science and so so bent on this is scientific achievement he has no concept of the destruction that it would cause even at one point he goes into a meeting that's being held by Los Alamos employees about the ethical use of the gadget as they call it mm-hmm. and and he doesn't seem to I mean he, he, he makes the case that that they're that they should use it right but he even in that moment seems to think gosh if we just test it japan will surrender um we right. don't need to drop this on anybody so so you wonder even how much it has entered this man's mind that this will be used to kill two hundred thousand people and so it is this propulsive thing because it was a race it was literally a race and it's that right. great it's that sequence right where there's the scientist that's well why should i do this and oppenheimer's trying to gently persuade him and matt damon cuts him Cuts in and because says, okay <laughs> because it's the most important thing because we bought a zoo <laughs> and it's kind of like oh you just oh yeah okay yes we we just do it we're just taking this man's word for it right I, I, anyways I, I totally it, they, they sound like uh, Twitter and in, in the in twenty twenty three because Nazis <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so uh, you know I, but to me all of that really worked as as part of the piece. It's kind of what it is doing directionally. Um, mm-hmm. 
And again, having rewatched it, I think a lot of a lot of the structural pieces of the movie worked a lot better for me. Right. One observation that I had after my first viewing was so the, so the movie is is kind of there's <laughs> it's this classic Nolan thing. The movie starts and you see this number on the screen it says number one fusion, mm-hmm. right? And it's in color. And you're like, cool, chapters. I like a movie with chapters. We've talked about this in the podcast. We've talked about it. It's a trend. Yeah. I'm thinking, great. Three-hour movie, I'd like some chapters. Um, (laughs) And like 45 seconds later, it says two, fission, and it's in black and white. And there's never another title or chapter or anything. It's... Hey, buddy. <laughs> do you know why we do this? It's it's just basically saying there's the color sequences and there's the black and white sequences. He doesn't explain what those mean, um, and, and and obviously there's <laughs> he different timelines. <laughs> now listen here, color is uh, more subjective, right? <laughs> okay, You're, this is Michael Caine, who is a a <laughs> I know. regular okay, I in, in the Nolan verse. Best of um, Who also ironically drops an atomic bomb? Oh, in Batman, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's with Nolan atomic bombs. Yeah, and <laughs> the- Batman flies. That okay? That plot line is like Adam West Batman. He's like, I'll just fly it out to the ocean in my bat bat plane. In my be bat wing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that clip of Adam West just riding around with a bomb <laughs> on a pier. Anyway. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, because the color, you know, you'd think, oh, the color sequences are like more in order from when he was young through the making of the bomb. But even that's out of order because it cuts forward to his hearings and this kind of thing. The black mm-hmm. and white is uh, follows Robert Downey Jr. really and this Strauss character and... And the Senate hearings that are take place even later than that. So it's not even about chrono- chronology. And Nolan has said in interviews, oh, well, the, the color sequences are the subjective point of view. It's Oppenheimer's point of view. Right. He, he is, I don't know if you've seen any of the, the sure. script. The script was written in the first person. Did you know this? So instead of the you know stage direction saying Oppenheimer walks to a window, it says, and I walk to a window. Um, I know. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Let's picture him with his blackboard explaining memento. Right, so. A normal story goes like this. My story goes up and down and all around. <laughs> so, so, the color sequences are supposed to be strictly from Oppenheimer's point of view. Sure. Um, and then the black and white sequences are supposed to be objective, um, as if there is such a thing in, in film. Right. Um, but it 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 is, you know, it, if you if you're if we're in color, Oppenheimer's in the scene. If it's black and white, you know, they can move away from him, right? That's not explained in the movie. And to be honest, like it's not that clear. <laughs> no. It's like, oh, black and white again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not clear what they it do is. A bla- they do like the black and white bomb test, and it's like a really small explosion. <laughs> like to optics. You guys see it was huge. <laughs> Everyone's like, that wasn't that big. And I do think I knew that the going into. Costanza. <laughs> That's Gabbard. <laughs> 
Okay. I knew this going into my first viewing of the movie, so I was able to kind of orient myself. Sure. But I was definitely wondering, like, if you didn't know that, like, what, what does this You're mean like, huh. to you? <laughs> no, yeah. So, black and white is downy time. But straight but up. It's, but see, because I actually think it's it's more subjective than it's not objective. It's more subjective to the Robert Downey Jr. character. Right. So yeah, and that's fine if I cared about him, I guess. Um, yeah, it is one of those like it. It feels like when I'm like, all right, these are the only three colors I'm going to use for this project, and then I get deep in the project, I'm like, I kind of need more colors. Yeah. Or, or one yeah. of these colors does not work with this project. It's yeah. like, yeah. all right, maybe we do need this scene to be black and white, or this one needs to be colored, and it doesn't make sense for our little rule that we set up for ourselves. <laughs> See, to me, because I think I, I may be totally wrong on this. He uses it. So so there is this, um, <laughs> the central mystery of the movie, if you could call it this, is what did Einstein, what did Oppenheimer say to Einstein that day on the lake? <laughs> hey, the equation for the bomb. <laughs> okay. This is like a central um, sure. mystery of the movie. The first time you see it, what it's in the black and white. And Robert Downey Jr. is Strauss. He thinks that Oppenheimer has like said some weird gossip about him. <laughs> Strauss sucks, man. I hate that guy. And like has turned Einstein against him. He's and like, it's just like, and I remember thinking like that's like a weird jump to like logic jump yeah. to make. But sure, guy, go ahead. But but it's interesting because that's supposed to be the objective point of view. But that's not even the actual reality of what happens. Right. That's Strauss creating that in his mind. So it's actually subjective and then and then nolan presents us with the truth in the very last scene which is in color so it's actually subjective and 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 it's you know it's considerations about the bomb and and the the ripple effect of that and what he's wrought on humanity and all of that whatever i mean it's haunting he's like whoops i'm not trying to dismiss the major theme of the movie i think it's really effective sure but the last um, shot is one of my favorites because i was like oh yeah I actually feel something. Yes. Which is nice. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem to feel like it fits in the rules. And to me, it's like, that's the central mystery. That's the piece of information you've withheld from us the entire that's time. That's his spinning top. Yes. It's his yeah. totem at the end of Inception. And yeah. and, and I, don't, I don't think the moment is ineffective. I, I was totally moved by it. Yeah. But it's just fu- funny. The, it's just, it's just like, some, some of it feels pretty arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, just make your movie, man. I mean, do whatever you want. But, you, <laughs> you know, know what? Hey, man, listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I just need to see it again. Not yeah. in terms of like, oh, I need my score to be higher for it. But I think it would just was not what I was expecting. Yeah. And that's okay. But what did what did you think about this, um, this uh, genius complex theory that this is? Christopher Nolan being like, this is me when I did Batman because I ruined the film industry with superhero movies has he said that no but that's what like but that's a, you know, yeah, a lot of people yeah. are suggested that as a part of his theme or, yeah you know, kind of telling his own story i'm a genius <laughs> i look what i've done I listen do, you, to, do you think that holds any weight maybe he is very he he really loves himself and i like so i listened to an interview with him he loves last those week scarves on fresh air did you listen to him on fresh air no it's a good interview like and i actually like listening to him talk about filmmaking mm-hmm. and he doesn't come across as that pretentious except then he goes into this oh, I actually don't have a smartphone 
um, I don't I don't ever use email and it's like he's like I'm I just don't want to be reading uh, and <laughs> I, I just don't want to be connected you know I just don't think the internet's good and I'm addicted I have addictive personality I'd just be I've on Twitter all day found the more connected you are the less connected you are <laughs> and it's like okay well, sure works. man you don't do email except like you have a team of people who work for you and do all of that for you. He sees uh, his smartphone. What is this dark magic? <laughs> um, so I definitely, th- I mean, I mean, is it surprising to me that Christopher Nolan is the filmmaker that takes on Robert Oppenheimer as a subject? No, no, of course not. This, this, this is this is the man who thought he was going to save the the industry when he released Tenet, like that whole thing in 2020. You know, and Tenet's like a movie I kind of like, and it's fine, and it's fun, but... um, Man, our second Nolan movie. uh, Yeah, I know, funny. So, I, you know, I don't know. I I think he is full of himself. And and you know what? Good for him. He makes good movies. Um, He's been really clear, too, in interviews of like, yes, I think Robert Oppenheimer is the most significant person in human history. I I mean, that's what he said. And and I don't know if that's a big... It? <laughs> like right. for the movie or, or if he actually believes that right and you know he's kind of a you can maybe compare him to like me when it comes to filmmaking <laughs> like the <most> <laughs> no no but I, okay o- overall again kind of going back i mean you and me actually did some you know more homework for this episode which was i don't know if you did i watched the Oppenheimer doc, Robert Oppenheimer doc, that's on Criterion. The right Day now. After Trinity? Yeah, Day After Trinity. Yeah, I watched that. I skimmed through Threads, which is free Jeez. on YouTube, but I do not recommend it to anybody because it's pretty Ooh, horrific. Oh my gosh. And then, what was the last one we watched? Uh, um, Hiroshima Mon Amour. Right. Um, which, which is you can better explain. Yeah, so um, it's on Criterion. It's a great, like, kind of classic. French New Wave, early example of French New Wave filmmaking, and uh, basically the plot is kind of these these two lovers that meet um, in Hiroshima, and like ten years um, after the bomb goes off. Yeah, yes, ten years after the bomb. So all this this explosive growth and recovery of the city, but it's still a city with this tremendous trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And and so then the movie becomes this. It's almost kind of very elliptical. I mean, it takes place over like two days, right? Yeah, and just it's, them and it's talking, like them talking, and going Monologues. to different places, and 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 very elliptical in its storytelling of memories and 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 how you like even just deal with trauma in your in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's beautiful and, and just very meditative. Um, yeah, and I was just gonna say, so having watched those pieces, I think it helped me iron out my problems with Oppenheimer. Which, mm. again, is rude in saying that's probably not fair and that I was expecting one thing. In all of those movies, Threads, what's the, is it Day After? The Day After Trinity. Day After Trinity and... Hiroshima Mon Amour. After or all three, or during all three of those, there's such a weight. There is a heaviness yeah. to those films that I was expecting to feel some of yeah. in Oppenheimer yeah. that I didn't. And I was surprised by that lack. Yeah. And so, um, again, those are all, e- even the doc are more emotional movies. And I, I you know, rightly so. And yeah, so- yeah. You know, you know what I would say almost is like Oppenheimer is the, is the like philosophy class uh, yes. of the story. <laughs> Right. Yes. And and some of these others are like like Hiroshima Mon Amour is like the all about the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a very different perspective. It, it, one of the two leads is is a Japanese man who was fighting in the war and is from Hiroshima, right? And and Threads is like 
just this potential reality of worldwide trauma, right? Yeah, oh yeah, my worldwide gosh. atomic bombs or atomic war. What that would look like for humanity? How, did you see the end of that movie? Yeah, when when it's like 10, 15 years after the after the mm-hmm. nuclear fallout and like the English language is deteriorated so much mm-hmm. among the youth. I mean, that to me was like the most horrifying moment mm-hmm. of uh, just uh, like things it, you wouldn't anticipate thinking about. Yeah, no, insane. Yeah, yeah yes. But I think Oppenheimer exists as the, the philosophy class version of this story. Yeah. And, and yeah. very effective at what it does, I, all of that. Yeah. Um, but it is, I mean, it, it, it kind of leads you down that path of like, you know, like I said earlier, the propulsivity of it gets you into that theme of nobody's asking if we should have done this. And, you know, this is just what we do. Yeah. Um, and so you're just kind of with them. And then there is that celebratory moment when, when they've the done the test. Not with the bleachers. This is when they've just done the Trinity test. Right. And you're like, this is great. We've done it. Science, you know. And then it immediately turns to to me, which was the most effective sequence in the movie, is, you know, then Oppenheimer has to deal with the reality that this bomb was used twice. Mm-hmm. And and it's that sequence in the, in this bleacher room, you know, with the bleachers and and, and you know all the the employees of Los Alamos, and he addresses them in this like oddly horrifying triumphant speech. And he does the George so, Costanza. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's gotta hurt. Yes, he it's does like, that. Whoa. And it's 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 in like this moment of silence. Oh like, wait, no, he says, I bet they didn't like that one. I bet the <laughs> Japanese didn't like that. And I will tell you, the, the first time I saw it, people in my theater audibly laughed at that line. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> and I'm not like, getting this. <laughs> this is not funny. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> I mean, hey, I George get, yes. away. <laughs> but uh, it's certainly not meant to be funny. No, it's yeah, it's supposed to be a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. One of the th- one of the things I love there's there's. <laughs> uh, it is. It's amazing to say this about a Nolan movie, but there's real restraint in that part of the film mm-hmm. because Nolan is so careful not to show anything of the destruction of those two bombs. Right. Um, that and, would be the temptation, and that is what uh, all three of the other movies mm-hmm. I mentioned yep. did. Absolutely. Which, again, probably you know it, they have the advantage of that kind of for lack of a better word, manipulation of like, here's yeah. actual footage of yeah. burn marks or babies and, crying. And, and you're like, oh my God, what have we done? And some people criticized his choice there of like, well, he didn't show what this did or whatever. And, and I kind of commend him for the restraint because it's not that he forgot about it. Sure. Um, obviously Oppenheimer has this terrible breakdown almost in that sequence in the bleachers. Um, but then there's a scene shortly after that where they're getting some military report mm-hmm. of all of the effects that the bomb has right because the scientists didn't know yeah what it was going to do and and you hear the clicking of a carousel slideshow of pictures and you can see Oppenheimer watching these things mm-hmm. and it's all the weight and horror on that Killian Murphy um, is able to, to to kind of bring into his performance Mm -hmm. but nolan does never let you see those images because that's not what this movie's about right it is ultimately always about this person and and what what he what he has done and what he thinks he's done you know well let me ask you that aside from telling his story what is this movie about because you had i feel like you had a pretty good 
Letterbox take. Uh, on my second review. Yeah, you're bringing it with first Barbie and now Oppie. You got the takes. Man, let me tell you, it's the same thing. It's, it is, um, like when we had our Barbie episode, we talked about Barbie as this kind of fun retelling and, and, and reframing of the Adam and Eve story and sin and fall and redemption, right? And it's amazing to me because I think, I think, Oppenheimer is doing that too. I mean, it starts you know, with a apple, poisoned apple. It starts. It literally starts with a the forbidden fruit of a poisoned apple, right? Mm-hmm. And and not just that. It's so so it's not just that it's an apple and and it's this poisoned apple. I, though I think that on its own is definitely Eden imagery. Mm-hmm. But um, it's when he runs in the next morning to to take the apple before his, his instructor. You think he's also can, referencing Snow White and Disney. And what they've done to the film industry? You know, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, but uh, Kenneth Branagh is standing there. He's he's playing Niels Bohr, this famous scientist, and he, he's playing with the apple. And uh, Oppenheimer attended this lecture the night before, and Niels Bohr says, "Oh, I remember you. You're the only one that's asked a good question, or something like that, right?" Mm-hmm. And 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 we don't really know what the question is, except like what. You know what is it? I think it has something to do with what is the ripple effect, or what is the the downstream effects of this kind of new physics that they're talking about. And and you know, um, Bohr says something like, "You can't lift a stone without being ready for the snake that might be revealed." Mm-hmm. So 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 now it's not just the imagery of the apple; it's an imagery of of, of a snake. Right, and, it's ready to bite you. And, and and that is that's that that's undoubtedly is is Eden imagery. Um, and then of course this is all set against you know the movie actually opens with um, this two or three line summary of the Prometheus myth. Mm-hmm. Prometheus is this titan that steals fire from the gods and gives it to humanity that they could be like the gods. And Prometheus is punished for that. And in Genesis. Three, the temptation of the serpent is that they, if, hey, if you eat this fruit, they think, oh, we will die. And they say, no. And the serpent says, if you eat this fruit, no, you will surely be like God. The temptation is to be like God. That's what this movie is. That this movie is a, is a man, is, is, an, is a man, is an individual. But I think we can then bring that right. out. I think and Nolan's interested in how we've done this in society. How... Have we, you know, what 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 Rubicon have we crossed in our pursuit of being like God and and not knowing or understanding the consequences of that? Um, right. There's a percent chance the universe will implode. Oh yeah 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 right. <laughs> like what, that's what a would you funny... prefer? Zero <laughs> percent. Theory can only take you so far. <laughs> so anyways, I mean, I think. I think it's no accident that these things, he's brought all of these images and ideas into the beginning of the movie and then that carries forth all the way through. I mean, I think that's, you know, and, and then the movie ends with basically him thinking like, you know, we've, we've destroyed everything, we've lost everything. And and I think I think that last hour is a, is a man, right? Because because then, you know, if, if the, the movie is about sin, right? Mm-hmm. Sin on some, some tremendous scale, right? The last hour is a man who is so racked with guilt and he cannot get rid of that himself. He to the point where he is almost asking the president Harry Truman would forgive him. Right. And and Gary Oldman shows up in this little cameo that's <laughs> very like K- K- Kentucky wow, Fried boy. Harry Truman. 
I dropped uh, <laughs> And he waves his little white handkerchief, right? Like, and but but even the president can't take away the guilt that this man carries. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 is stained with something, and he cannot get rid of it. And that's something that we see in the sequence later. Later, he's like old age makeup, getting some award from from Linda Johnson, and he just he's like a husk of a man, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's the. That's the Einstein conversation. I think we did. I think we we started a chain reaction that destroyed humanity, that will destroy humanity. I think we started that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of fascinated by, I'm fascinated by the both of these movies that came out on the same day. Mm-hmm. I have have like it's not the same theme. It's not the same use of the theme. But these imagery, this imagery and these metaphors are there. Right. And 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 then I'm just fascinated by this idea of like. Of a man who is just so desperate for some some sort of of redemption that he cannot he cannot manufacture on his own, and and Nolan doesn't give him a savior. Nolan gives him no solution, basically, and that's haunting. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. I know the sandwiching of opening and closing shots of him staring at literal ripple effects. Yeah, and then ending with, "Yep, that was me." This does not end well. Yeah. It's um, like I love those I love those bookends for the movie, and like I said, the ending is probably the most effective moment for me, besides the actual drop, which just yeah, from like a visual standpoint is really and no CG. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but they filmed a big old explosion. He's him directing it. Now I become death, <laughs> which we have to admit is the goofiest moment of the year when it comes it's to incredible. It's, it's so stupid. <laughs> what are you doing, my guy? <laughs> okay, let's talk about that. Okay. There is this inexplicable, you know, just graphic sexual content. <laughs> yeah, which For Nolan like, never does. Never does. I mean, mainly I mean, he's, he's not interested he, he, in women in general. Yes, yeah, he's not interested in women. He seems hardly interested in like romantic relationships. See in Emily Blunt, right? Yeah, but she's good. Uh, we she love gets Emily one scene Blunt. to cook. I know, I know. Besides that, um, she's alcoholic mom, mad. It like inexplicable for like three or four minutes of just graphic content, and it I, adds nothing to the story. Well, it's just so goofy. Killian is like a skinny old man, and he's just like staring upward. And then she's like, pause, walks over, Sanskrit, you say? And he's like, yeah, I can read that. She's like, this line gets back on. It's like, what? Yeah, no. I mean, I realize it's... that she dies later in the movie from suicide, but, <laughs> I mean, sex and death, you know, whatever. But it's just so goofy and feels so forced. It's crazy. Gosh, you know, even as I'm thinking about it now, the way that they use her character and and the death as this kind of, you know, impetus for a level of guilt that he feels, right? He feels guilty that Mm -hmm. she she dies. And I'm like, you know what? You know what? He created the bomb that killed 200,000 people. I I actually don't need that. (laughs) Right. He's like, to. Uh I don't need that to make me understand the guilt that this man right. has. Like, and she's, I know it's so funny in his interrogation surrealist montage where they're yeah. like, well, "You knew what you dropped the, you knew what you were doing." And he's like screaming at him. It's like you, you guys asked me to make this thing, and then all you know of a sudden flows like naked in the corner. It's like okay, yeah. Is is that the ghost? Is that the skeleton in his closet? Really? Yeah. 
it's not the stadium full of people. It was interesting to me because Multiple that stadiums. particular moment, the mm-hmm. um, you knew, you knew, you know, whatever. And, and I just, especially the second time I was watching it, I was like, I was like, what are we even talking about? Yeah, like, that, you know, I think that's why, like, I feel like the last hour I recognize, like, there are elements to this that I enjoy in most movies. Like, yeah. you know, that kind of people in a room talking, courtroom drama sort yeah. of like presentation and rhythm. But I guess I kept asking, like, what are the stakes right now that he loses security clearance? Is that yes. like a big deal? I mean, I mean, for this man personally, yeah. I didn't under I didn't understand why. I, I mean, I do think part of the tension is a, a him being able to conti- have a continued seat at these mm. tables right. to advocate for the policies that he was really advocating for. Right. And and I think that that what what is in question is the legacy of a man who is a great man, right? That's what Nolan's interested in, this great man theory, great man story. Yeah. And, you know, his his kind of his reputation, right? There's an interesting moment where nobody assigns blame to him. You know, he's on mm-hmm. the cover of Time. He's on the cover of Time as the father of the atomic bomb, but nobody would ever blame him for it being dropped. Right. Uh, he blames himself. Right. But, but no one would assign him that guilt. And... Right. It's a, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but it, it, anyways, then then for him, he devoting him his life after that to advocating for for sensible policies, not you know trying trying to make sure they don't develop the super bomb, and and basically he becomes a nuisance, so they get rid of him. And so what's at stake at that point after you've already made the bomb? I don't know. You've 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 opened up the box, but yeah, yeah, it, it feels a little like like Nolan needing something to give some drama and this is what this is what he and, and it was a real thing I mean last year in 2021 or 2022 the US government kind of made a statement saying that Oppenheimer's security clearance should not have been revoked and that right. he was a loyal citizen right right so this is like that was separate from this movie being made these yeah. three, these were there's definitely states. another layer of not conspiracy theory but like a reinforcing of theme despite intention or genius the world will take what's there and corrupt it endlessly yeah you know yeah. institutions oh, yeah. will destroy and i love i love the contrast between the early sequences in, in these lecture halls and physics laboratories of like the excitement right. of, the of quantum physics the hope that that it would bring right to then then the the and and boy it happens so fast it's a moment i do love when his students rush in with the newspaper saying that the you know they they've split the split the atom right mm-hmm. and and then within within minutes uh, I mean within probably two minutes of the film but you know there's this basically general assumption among the physicists that every physicist is now thinking about how this will how this could be right. used to create a bomb right like, that that's our first thought right how how it can be used to win the war yeah. It's such a narrow view of history of like, how do we win this war? And not thinking, hey, in like 10 years, Russia's going to create a bomb a hundred times bigger than this. Yeah. Have you seen those, crazy. those graphs? I have. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. It's crazy. Or have you done those um, bomb tracker sites or bomb simulation sites where it's like, all right, let's take the biggest bomb that's ever been detonated, which was in like the 50s. Yeah, yeah, and and then the world said, "Please stop," and then like drop it on your hometown and see how far it goes. And it's like, oh, if you dropped it on Sacramento, it would like reach the Bay Area. Oh like, gosh, dude, dude, <laughs> holy crap! 
it's like it's like looking into space and that's why and now saying this out loud it, and his like bomb montage stuff there is some like celestial imagery yeah uh, you know and i'm like oh it makes sense like when i look into space it's unfathomable the depths of it and it's like it's unfathomable the the depths of damage and death that could be wrought from from this moment you know i mean oppenheimer's theory of the black hole then becomes an, a metaphor for the bomb right this this star that is breaking down that is collapsing in on itself that is becoming you know the density is increasing gravity is increasing it it it, it 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 you know it's this endless chain reaction right black holes are just other planets that have discovered atomic bombs yeah yeah <laughs> They got too um, crazy. I mean, it's just yeah. That that's the the cynical, cynical and kind of nihilistic. I, and I don't know that the, I don't know how cynical the movie is. I mean, I think I, I don't know. It ends on a really dour nihilistic yeah. note, right? Yeah. And so it does not offer a lot of hope. I mean, it's um, hard hard with the subject matter to walk out being like, you know what? But things are going to be all right. Yeah, that's true. That's tough. Yeah. Um, and 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 the other thing, you know, you you brought up the. The movies that we both watched it's interesting of the two i i think i i think it's safe to say we both but i definitely liked barbie more mm-hmm. but beyond the three movies that we've already mentioned threads the day after trinity and hiroshima mon amour mm-hmm. um most of what i've watched since i've seen oppenheimer was directly because i watched oppenheimer right it, totally. it just it sent me and 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 very like tangentially right i i went from there i watched first man ryan gosling the damien yeah. giselle neil armstrong movie, so good. right so that's that's 60 it's in the 60s and it's space race right and i watched jfk conspiracy theory i mean it's still the early 60s of the, the assassination but but also the conspiracy theory element of it you're not watched, watching singing in the rain and the red no, shoes yeah. no i watched apollo 13 I watched The Deer Hunter, which is this like yeah. um, horrifying Vietnam movie. And then I watched um, this kind of, I mean, I think people know about it, but a little more obscure kind of documentary, uh, Koyani Squatsi. Koyani Squatsi. Um, have you heard of this? Had you heard of this? No, I never heard of it. Yeah. It's, I think it's on Tubi, but it's uh, like the, the, the phrase means like life out of balance. It's it's some some indigenous tribe, you know, word for out of balance life. And and basically, the filmmakers the, the first half hour is just all this beautiful footage of nature and, and waves and waterfalls and jungles and and then all of a sudden um, he starts showing people, mm. <laughs> and then it's just like it's just like thousands of people in line for things, and then it's like factories making endless things and. And and then he does this like two or three minute sequence where he's just showing you montage of nuclear bomb tests, oh and gosh. then it's you know um, space spacecraft and rockets and satellites and lights and cities and cars and and junkyards and it's just all of this you know just crazy the way that technology then takes us um, mm-hmm. to this place of overconsumption and and and. Uh, uh, it's just, I mean, and there's not a word spoken in the movie. There's no narration. There's no nothing. Um, Gosh. And and the footage is beautiful because it's all shot on film in the '70s. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, same thing. I mean, it's it was, and I didn't even realize that that one was going to be so related to the message of Oppenheimer when I put it on. Yeah. Yeah, I watched all those similarly after Oppie of like, ah. Oh. This is in my head for a while now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'd say overall, I think I do just need to give it another watch. And I wish I could watch it in its uh, suggested format. 
but yeah, I think I just at that time, like there were just some some things missing for me. Yeah, no, I get or that. Not, I mean, not I, landing quite right. Yeah, my appreciation grew the second time I watched it. I don't think it was just because I was seeing it on film. Um, right. And it and and like I said, it stuck with me more than more than I can remember a movie sticking with me for a long time. Barbarian stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So who is the winner of the Great Barbenheimer War? That's the uh, Bar- it's but it's Barbie. It's gonna be ironically Barbie. the movie without. Yeah, it's gotta be Barbie. One point almost three billion dollars and just oh an incredible movie. I mean, it, both just it being such a successful movie and plus just um, locking down Greta for. Uh, Endless uh, budgetary She's do whatever she wants. Yeah, exactly. She's do whatever she wants. I'm so excited. I'm so glad for her. I mean, Margot Robbie as the executive producer of that, good for her. I also think um, Christopher Nolan has come out of this um, very well for himself. Um, right. To me... As he it, does. This was not a competition that was like some you know net zero game, sure. but... A real everyone got a lot of victories um, from this, which is good. Yeah. It's good for movies. Amazing for movies. This felt like an event, which was I don't remember the last time a movie felt like an event. It, Truly. It's it's amazing that it's amazing that people are like casual people are having conversations about a movie being shot on or being projected on seventy millimeter film. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yes, it's it's awesome. Great. Let's uh, blaze through our segments. Well, first we got to talk about what we're, what we're drinking tonight. Yeah. I had a glass of water and a tangerine. So I'm actually sipping on something different this time around. Okay. Tell me about it. I'm sipping on Magic Mind. Oh, I know about Magic Mind. <laughs> so this new product I've seen on Instagram, you know, random comedians, podcasts, I've talked about it. It's a, it's like a matcha, nootropics, ashwagandha mushroom shot yeah in the morning it, i mean it comes in a little bottle and it's yeah. a, it's supposed to be this thing that kind of is in tandem with your morning coffee but i've been taking it in the mornings as a kind of you take it you take it like with your coffee yeah because it's it's like so apparently caffeine doesn't actually give you energy it just blocks the thing in your head that says you're tired yeah so i've been taking this thing magic mind which is actually gives you energy with the type of ingredients that they're using and i was very skeptical at first especially mm-hmm. just like how it would work versus coffee but i will say normally one two in the afternoon i am getting headaches and i'm getting sleepy and <laughs> you knew that afternoon coffee yeah i get the afternoon coffee but even that it's like it has this uh diminishing returns yeah yeah and so i will say this past week I have not been getting those headaches, and I've been, like, actually pretty alert, aware, not sleepy in the afternoons. So, uh, I... That's pretty good. I have to recommend it. Uh, And I will say, I have been trying Magic Mind as well. Okay. And I am feeling a similar kind of just a... a, a, You're feeling good. I'm feeling good. A a less of a... Because I drink... My motto is mostly is that there's never enough coffee. (laughs) Right, for sure. But I definitely yesterday, because I just, you know, been trying it the last few days, yesterday did not ever have a moment in the afternoon where I was like, oh, I need to definitely make a mug of coffee. Right. Um, I was feeling fine. So I've noticed different too. Yeah, yeah. I just recommend it because it's actually been helpful. Very few 
of these types of products I f- find to be helpful in terms of focus and energy. So, well, and, 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 and we just had COVID uh, like two weeks ago. And it the thing, our biggest thing with COVID was just how tired we were. The haze. And I, and I was still feeling that even the, the, the week after we were testing negative. Yeah. And so I was, I was, I really felt that like as a positive thing for us because for me, because just because of what we've been through the last couple of weeks. Heck yeah. And so, well, that in mind, we, we gotta, we gotta mention that we actually have a coupon code for them. Ah. So if you this go. This is our first coupon code. Our first sponsor of the pod, Magic Minds. So you can actually go to magicmind.co slash movie sleep. And then if you enter the coupon code movie sleep 20, you get 56% off for the next 10 days. And then after that, it is 20% off just anytime you use the code. And so they do a subscription model, but you can also do a one-time purchase. And, but and I said, but we, we got we to gotta recommend it to you guys because especially with our, our pod name here, Movies While They Sleep, I've been very tired <laughs> on these late night recordings and Magic Mind's been helping me out here. And and their whole thing, they call it, it the, the world's first productivity drink. Is that kind of the way that they yeah. talk about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the uh, guy that made the drink wrote a best-selling book called Beyond Coffee, which kind of oh, yeah. t- talks about you know, the problems with deriving our, or the idea of coffee supplying us endless energy and kind of what caffeine's actually but, doing but, in our bodies. But I've still been drinking coffee with this. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, yeah. I, I, I drink coffee mainly because I love the taste. But Me too. this has actually been helpful for energy. So again, if you guys want to support the pod, if you want to try this product, uh, we both genuinely recommend it. Go to magicmind.co slash movie sleep. Yeah. So they know you're coming from us and then enter the code movie sleep 20 for 56% off your subscription for 10 days and then 20% after that. So that's what I'm saying. On to segments. On to segments. What do we got? Okay. Letterbox review. So I started with a four and a half stars. And then when I saw it on 70 mil, bumped that up to five. Dang. And um, I feel fine about that. Let me tell you, I've never questioned my five stars for Barbie. <laughs> and uh, I feel it's it's a little, you know, depends yeah. on my mood and, and, and the viewing. But Coming out the, of a viewing in IMAX, a five yeah. star makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I gave it three and a half. And yeah, you did. Uh, I could easily see that bumping up to four, yeah, or or still hanging there, you know. And I would say it's not a perfect movie by any means. We touched sure. on some of the weirdness of it, and, and and both the emotional coldness and then the Florence Pugh of it all. Oh yeah, and most people that I follow adored it, and I I, I thought it would be more of a mixed bag, but yeah. um, yeah, yes, you, a really universal claim, acclaim. Yeah. Do you have a favorite shot? Mm, it's hard for me to pick because it moves so much. Mm-hmm. Images stick out in my mind. Um, I don't know. Do you have one? Man, nothing really does other than the, you know, the montage of a dropping. And, like, for some reason, I love the countdown timer. Oh, man, me too. I that love is, like, that. Total, fa- like, fallout the game production design on it. Did, um, you, did you really enjoy Josh Peck trying not no, to touch he, a button? He was very distracting. <laughs> it was very distracting for me. I'm like this is Drake and Josh. It was or, weird. Or YouTube guy, you know. Yeah, but I love the countdown timer. I mean, you know I, what? I'll, d- I'll go with I'll go with Safty slathered in cream. Oh, I, I was just gonna just say like 
with his glasses. Yeah. That's a great um, show. Yeah, I think, you know, that whole Trinity test sequence is just A lot of good amazing. stuff in there. Yeah. Unsung Hero, do you have one? It's kind of tough with a movie like this. Yeah, not Josh Peck, I think we've decided. Um, I feel like most people would say uh, Casey Affleck. You know, I like that, but I got I got one um, for you. It is uh, Krumholtz, David Krumholtz. So the guy with glasses? It's the guy from the Santa Claus. He's Bernard in the Santa Claus. Oh, that's that guy? That's that guy. That's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, but he has such a nice, gentle presence in this movie that, like, really, like, I enjoyed every time he was on screen. Yeah. Yes. So, Krumholtz. Uh, not Rami Malek. Um, though he, he gets a moment, but... I'm going yes. with Damon because people oh, are kind of just making Damon's fun so of his good. performance. And I'm like, no. you know what? When that He's guy's so on... Good. Here's what you cannot deny in a movie star. That when he is on the screen, I am all in. I'm like, what's Matt Damon doing? <laughs> like, yeah, some of you guys are okay, but what what is Matt Damon doing? <laughs> Can't get enough. And, and let me tell you, the, the, the trust capital that Christopher Nolan builds by just casting Matt Damon in that role, it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah Matt Damon. Up, I'll just do whatever. I would, I would go. <laughs> okay. And then we kind of already talked about what we've been watching lately as far as how it relates to... Uh, yeah, you got any others you want to share? Nine to five. I watched Cocktail with Tom Cruise. And it was <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Um, I watched Sicario for the first time and it was... I, I really liked it. Uh, I, was, I was surprised a lot of people don't like this movie. People don't like Sicario? Yeah, I mean, just reviewers that I follow on Letterboxd, but insane, love Denis, sad for Roger Denis. Roger Deakins, man. Raji and Denis, I mean, I what know. a combo. What a team, what a team. Emily Blunt, getting to do stuff. I know, actually. Oh my gosh. And then I watched Eyes Wide Shut for the first time. Oh boy, I've not seen that. And you know what? It's really good. <laughs> I'm. Yep, I believe it. I loved it. Uh, it's it's great <laughs> that's great yeah it's so good i mean obviously the content is you know not everyone's cup of tea to quote uh spike spike, spike Lee. Lee. <laughs> you're british right let me give you a british answer it's not my cup of tea uh but my god i i adore this movie it's top top three i'm thinking for qb, for QB. oh really wow that's I think cool so so that's what i got yeah I got two. I watched uh, Nashville for the first time, Robert Altman. You know what? Because you um, gave it five stars, I bought it on Apple sale for $5. Yeah, that's like, I picked it up on an Apple sale for $5 a long time ago. I hadn't watched it because it's long. Yeah, and, and it's about country music. You're like, oh, boy. And it's about country music, but the music's good in it. Um, some of it's bad, but purposefully. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so it's got this just crazy huge cast. Um, right. <laughs> and... I, so I watched it. I, I watched it in college in a class on structure, narrative structure. Right. But I just, man, I just really like it's. It's a definitely a, more of a vibe than a plot movie. Totally. <laughs> but really charmed by it. Yeah. And then I watched um, Return to Seoul, and Seoul being the South Korean city. Um, this came out 2022. It's a French language film about a French, a Korean-born French woman who is an adoptee from French parents from Korea, um, international adoption, and now in her early 20s, going to Seoul for the first time and then kind of realizing, oh, I could go to the adoption agency and maybe try to find my parents. And I really loved it. And I will say I really loved it for two reasons. One, as an as an adopted dad of an internationally adopted son, mm-hmm. I 
it, it, it very different circumstances, obviously, but um, I felt uh, resonate. I felt I resonated with this movie in a way that I wouldn't have. But it also um, is much different than I was expecting. Mm. You know, when I tell you the plot of a Korean adoptee goes to Seoul for the first time and is pursuing to find her parents, right? That sounds yeah. like sounds like it could be a lot of things. It could be kind of feel good, boring, you know, whatever, cheesy. Honestly, that movie takes place in like the first 40 minutes and then there's a whole other movie on top of it. And I was really into it and uh, it was good. It was super good. And like really like young performers. It's kind of the first thing a couple of these actors have done and just it was good. Heck yeah. I don't even know what's next because who knows when this episode's coming out, but I think we got Foe on our radar. I mean, that trailer was ridiculous. So beautiful. Yeah. We got Killers of Flower Moon coming out early. Movie's yeah. coming out early. And uh, I don't know. We, we Maybe we'll slip in an Asteroid City pod between... Oh, no, we've got another Wes Anderson movie coming out in September. I know. My gosh. I know. Is it, I think it's a short, though, isn't it? Is it a short? I thought I thought I read somewhere that it was a short. Oh yeah, it's thirty nine minutes, yeah. which is fun. Well, you know, yeah, super fun. We could use that as an excuse to talk about Asteroid City too. We'll pair that. Oh yeah. dang, Netflix September twenty seventh. Okay. Yeah, I know. It'll be Heck less yeah. than so. Yeah, about a month. So maybe we would find something to watch in between then. Uh, in the meantime, find us on Instagram at Movies While They Sleep. Thank you to Andy Carhall, writer of our theme music, who has actually got his own album coming out. Oh, hey, congrats. This year. Congrats, and, uh, Andy. I'm helping him out with the art direction of it, just like the covers and merch and stuff. So, um, But the album is, is just baller. It's so good. Very excited for people to hear it, so I'm going to start talking about it at the end of episodes. Um, great. Go follow him. His his uh, moniker is actually See You in the Movies. Really? Which kinda, yeah, which is a oh, fun. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but you can search that or Andy Carhall go find him. Singles are going to start coming out for that thing soon. Or by the time this episode is out, maybe the first single already is. And he does our theme song, so shout out to him. And then uh, write a review. Leave us a review. And uh, I, know we've, I know we've got a lot of new listeners recently, so, you know. I know, we had a random jump, which was cool. That was but, great. Uh, Leave us a review. We love that. Share pod with the movie lover in your life. And uh, catch you on the next one. Good night, y'all. Bye. That's gotta hurt. <laughs>